3: Hello and welcome. It is Big Talk with Todd and Noah presented by Xfinity 10G Network. He is Todd Blackledge. I am Noah Eagle. This is episode number four as we get rolling in the college football season. And before we start, I need to at least alert everybody that there's currently a UN meeting happening right by my apartment in New York City. So if you hear sirens, it's not because I did anything wrong. It's because there are some important world leaders right near me. So I... I I really – I came back here on Sunday after we were in – where were we this week? Man, you lose track of time after we were in West Lafayette. And, yeah, so I get back from West Lafayette, and I look, and I'm like, wow, there's so much commotion. They must be thrilled. They must have loved the game on Saturday. (laughs) No, 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 no. It had nothing to do with me. So that that shows you where my head's at. But if that happens, I apologize ahead of time.
0: Well, you know, my wife's actually in New York also and is in a hotel – close to the park and the last time she's there she had a room overlooking the park but not this time because there's too many dignitaries in the same hotel so
3: yeah yeah no it impacts all of us I, <laughs> it, it's uh it's a crazy amount of traffic you know there's a normal traffic and everything it's gridlock every single day when this, something okay. like this happens anytime there's something like this so uh just an alert And I'm glad to hear that Brittany's okay, and despite not having a view of the park, hopefully enjoying a beautiful fall day as it is right now in New York. And that's what we got in Purdue, by the way. It was my first time there, your first time in quite some time in West Lafayette. I really thought the environment was great. I thought the fans showed up, by the way, at at ross Eight Stadium, and we knew it was going to be a sellout. They delivered as such, and and Syracuse looked pretty damn good, all things Mm -hmm. considered.
0: Yeah, so – my two biggest takeaways from, from that, you're right. The atmosphere was terrific. You know, they had announced that it was a sellout a couple weeks in advance. It totally was that it had a great feel, a great look. Um, and it was a fun game to call. Right. But, but my observations football wise, and we've seen this through the first three weeks already, um, multiple turnovers in a game are difficult to overcome, especially if you have teams that are somewhat evenly matched, uh, and, you know, Purdue had problems taking care of the football. Hudson Card played well, but he had four turnovers. He had, you know, three lost fumbles and an interception. Their reliable tailback, Mockaby, fumbled it a couple times. So it's like, you know, that that's really hard to overcome. And then on the other side... Uh, you know, we knew about Garrett Schrader. He was even better than advertised, uh, you know, both as a runner and a passer. Um, they even could have made it worse because they had several drop passes in the game. Deep shots at the ball was, you know, catchable and they couldn't come down with. So but the thing about that for me is and this is why I don't like preseason rankings and polls is because. We didn't know how good Syracuse was based on how they played against Colgate and Western Michigan, right? But against a good opponent in the Big Ten on the road, they were clearly the better football team from start to finish. And so now you come away from that saying, okay, this is a legitimate team, and if they can keep their quarterback healthy and some other guys, of course, they lost Marondé Gadsden already, which is a big loss, um, but they're a good-looking football team.
3: Yeah, no Gadsden, no – uh, David Wallabaugh at that right tackle spot, but spot on with that game. And and then what about your overall takeaways for, for week three? Because you went into this slate and you said, ah, who knows what it's going to look like. And then we got some pretty exciting games.
0: We did. I, I mean, one of my first takeaways is some of the top teams were just kind of ho-hum, you know, mm-hmm. D- didn't look dominant. Won and found ways to win. I mean, Georgia was trailing at half. You know, came back and played strong in the second half. Florida State struggled with Boston College on the road. You know, and then found a way to win. Uh, maybe none more so than Alabama. I mean, that was just an ugly game. A rain delay. You know, it was three to three for the longest time. They, you know, they played two other quarterbacks. Uh, neither one did very well. So, um, so there, there were a lot of games like that. I mean, there are a couple teams I thought that, you know, really stood out. I thought. Uh, Washington and Michael Penix Jr. looked explosive, you know, and and continued the the way they've been playing so far in the early part of the season. Uh, uh, But there are a lot of teams, you know, top teams who won, but didn't really win in in impressive fashions. And uh, But I think, you know, those are going to happen early in the season, particularly in matchups where they're heavily favored. And now we start to get more into the meat of the schedule.
3: So you mentioned a couple of these games. The FSU one, let's just quickly hit on it because FSU obviously was one of the most impressive teams coming out of week one with yeah. what they did to start their season against LSU. Just dominance on both sides of the football. It looked like Keon Coleman was going to be the steal, of the transfer portal, and he's played well through these first three weeks. But they go up big, and Boston College ends up coming all the way back after trailing 31-10. to 10. I guess the, the question for me is, There are two schools of thought here for Florida State, and you kind of brought one up, which is they still found a way to win, which is what good teams do even when they don't have their best day. The other school of thought is, okay, how concerned should you be with Florida State? So is there somewhere in the middle in what you're seeing out of the Seminoles?
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I think that they are definitely better. I think this is the best team that Mike Norvell's had since he's been there. But how good that is, I'm not sure. Uh, you know, we'll find out more with, you know, with the teams that they have coming up, you know? And I think that, uh, um, you know, are they, are they a national championship contending team? Be hard for me to go there right now. Playoff team. However, you know, can they contend for the ACC championship and maybe be in in position for that? Yeah, absolutely. I think they are there. Um, and, you know, again, you go on the road. they got the big lead. They obviously got a little complacent. And BC, even though they had a slew of mistakes, you know, still found a way to make that thing really interesting and, and really close. And you know, I really like Jeff Halfley. I think he's a heck of a football coach. But you know, that's a game where where they're just undermanned. They don't have the same athletes top to bottom that Florida State has. Uh, but they sure competed well and competed at a high level in that one.
3: Underman, you said slew of mistakes. Well, that was a school record for penalties, yeah. a mixed, uh, missed extra point, missed two-point conversion in the fourth quarter, and a game they ended up losing by just two points. Alabama ends up finding a way to win, but uh, it was a slow, slow start. Mm-hmm. Jalen Milrow gets essentially benched from what we could understand, and Tyler Buckner comes in starts. He struggles. Ty Simpson comes in, eventually leads them back to the win, and now it's going to be Jalen Milrow starting again this week as Nick Saban and Tommy Reese, offensive coordinator, just look for the right answers. I guess from a quarterback's perspective from you, you know, we've seen this from Alabama with Jalen Hurts and how well he handled that, right? Getting pulled and eventually having to be thrust back in the role in the SEC Championship, winning them that game, and eventually right. moving on, all of that. I'm not sure what Jalen Milrow's like. He's obviously younger than Jalen Hurts was as well, and he's less experienced. But from a quarterback's perspective, if you're Jalen Milroe, and if you're Alabama, How do you properly proceed with what's gone on these first three weeks?
0: Yeah. So what's going on there right now is, is way different than what went on with Jalen hurts and, and in the past, Um, you know, I think they're struggling to figure out which quarterback they have that can actually give them a chance to win, you know, and that wasn't the case with, with Jalen hurts. I mean, uh, he obviously won a lot of games as a starting quarterback, did a lot of good things. The guy behind him, too was just a better player, a better passer at that time and gave them a chance to score more points and be more explosive. So the problem, I think, for Alabama right now is it, it, everybody's focused on the quarterback, but as I see them in the first three weeks, I, I don't think it's a great offensive line. And I don't see the dynamic kind of players at wide out and running back that they're used to having. So that puts even more pressure on a quarterback. I don't see a, you know, a Jalen Waddle. I don't see a Jerry Judy. I don't see those kind of guys, uh, Devontae Smith. Um, and so now I think the decision to go back to Jalen Milroe the reason for that is he gives them at least a dynamic dual threat ability And, you know, he can make some plays with his legs. He just has to learn and grow in terms of taking care of the football. But I think he gives them the best chance to be successful going forward because he has a little dynamic ability to him. And and it's a team, offensive team, that um, is is much less dynamic than past Alabama teams have been.
3: So they get the win against USF. And I think you make a very good point about Milro and the dual threat ability. They got – Mississippi this week, so Ole Miss in a top fifteen matchup. Alabama wins, they drop out of the top ten. Believe it was for the first time since LeBron James has been in the NBA or something like that. It's an insane stat. Certainly since Nick Saban had been there and and took over and kind of propelled them to that top ten. But it will be interesting to see if if they handle at home uh, an Ole Miss team that's going to be looking to really step on their throat when they have the chance. So that's a a storyline to look out for as we proceed here to week four and then the big one at the very end of saturday night and i know i stayed up to watch it I was did probably, too. it was a mistake <laughs> for me because i had an early flight you actually <laughs> could sleep in a little yeah, bit a little
0: bit more yeah
3: yeah I, I the most of us the most of the majority of our crew was on on the flight back to new york which was at eight twenty six. but we were in an hour away so we all left by 6 a.m and this game didn't end till like 2 2 15 so Colorado, Colorado State. There were so many so many headlines made throughout the week going into this rivalry game and Norvell and Sanders and back and forth and whatever else was going on in between the players. We saw the chippiness during the game. Travis Hunter gets knocked out of the game, goes to the hospital, and eventually after falling down, I mean, Colorado State had this game won on multiple occasions, it felt yeah. like. And yet Colorado with Shador Sanders just found a way to win. So another top 20 team that just found a way to win. But what'd you see out of this one and, and so many fireworks involved?
0: Well, first of all, uh, I, I don't know why Jay Norvell, you know, chose to do that during the week, you know, and kind of poke the bear or poke the Buffalo, you know, yeah. and just, and just feed and fuel, you know, Dion and that program, you know, to have any way to kind of make it personal. Cause that seems to be what they want to do. They want to try to make everything personal and that's, brings out the best in them. So I'm not sure why he did that, but his team showed up ready to play. His team played well. His quarterback threw for almost 500 yards. I mean, or four, and he was outstanding, you know. And so, um, but turnovers and penalties. I think they had 17 penalties in the game. I know they went to overtime, so the game was a little longer than regulation, but too many things to overcome. You're the underdog on the road. And you have turnovers, and you have lots of penalties, and uh, and they weren't able to close the deal. Uh, that you're right, they were in position to win, but credit goes to uh, you know Colorado for not panicking, and particularly Shadur Sanders. It, for the second week in a row, it wasn't always pretty, and it wasn't always easy, particularly early in the game. Got knocked around some, got put on his backside, but when the game was on the line, and when they needed it most, you know he. Comes through a 98-yard drive, you know, to tie the thing up was was spectacular, and it was great in overtime. So um, he continues to impress with his poise and his accuracy, and uh, you know, just one more outstanding-looking quarterback in the in the final year of what is now the Pac-12. Um, it's it's a conference loaded with quarterbacks, and we'll see a duel between he and Bo Nix coming up this week. As, as Colorado travels to Eugene. Yeah,
3: no Travis Hunter for the next three weeks, which means no Travis Hunter for the Oregon game and next week for the USC yeah. game, which is really a bummer more for college football and certainly for that young man and, and the Colorado Buffaloes will have to figure it out. And I do want to just hit on this real quick because Henry Blackburn was the man, the, the senior safety that hit Travis Hunter late in that, I think it was the second quarter. I'd have to go back and double check. It was in the first half. Mm-hmm. And... Travis ended up playing through it for a little bit, and it was a lacerated liver that had internal bleeding, I believe, that caused him to eventually go to the hospital and now miss these next couple of weeks. Doesn't sound to be serious, which is very, very good to hear. But the, the key part I want to hit on is, I, I know this was reported that, that Blackburn was starting to get death threats and he was starting to hear some crazy, crazy things from fans, which is what sports tends to do. It brings out our crazy side. It also brings out our emotional and happy side, which is it, it's the dichotomy of the two. But I do I, – the, the one thing that I love to see was Travis Hunter actually defending him online yesterday. You know, he was on streaming, I think, playing some video games. And someone – you know, a lot of people in the chat were, were saying some nasty things about Henry, and Travis was saying, listen, guys, I don't want anything said about him. That's just football as far as I'm concerned. you got to get hit. It's what happens. I didn't feel like it was all that dirty or anything. I thought that was pretty cool for yeah. Travis Hunter, and I hope – for for everybody's sake and certainly for the Blackburn family's sake that that people realize what they're doing is is ridiculous.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I hope so too. And that is tremendous by Travis Hunter. You know, and the guys that are on the field are the guys that get it more than anybody else. Right? They understand it's a violent game. It's a physical game. You you want to play every play. You know, between the whistles from from snap to snap, but sometimes you you know it, it gets extended. And uh, that's what penalties are for, right? You get penalties for that. Um, and, you know, again, the whole world is watching Colorado right now and not just football people. I mean, just people all over the place have eyes on, you know, Colorado and Deion Sanders and what that team's doing. And so, you know, something like that is going to stir up a lot of people, maybe that aren't, aren't necessarily your, your normal football fans, too.
3: No doubt. So Colorado with another victory. Now can they remain unbeaten against Oregon this week? That'll be a fun storyline to watch. Some other just scores to to keep everyone updated. Georgia stays perfect at number one. They survive a scare against South Carolina. They were down at halftime, eventually winning 24 to 14. That defense comes through as always and shuts out the Gamecocks in the second half. Florida beats number 11, Tennessee, uh, which I know a lot of people were looking forward to seeing how Tennessee would fare after their fantastic season last year in Florida with a, a massive win. And after the way they started week one to come through now week three was, was really nice to see for the Gators, Missouri beats Kansas state on a Harrison Meevis. What was it? 61 yard field goal. Absurd. That kid, yeah. That, that kid's <laughs> by the way, that kid feels like he's been there for 18 years at this point. feels like he's paying <laughs> child support to the program yet. He knocks through that field goal. I mean, he's been a stud since he walked on campus, and they win at thirty to twenty-seven. So, so big wins for Missouri, big win for Florida, and a nice job by Georgia just to survive and remain on yeah.
0: You know, I, I'll just mention something about the Florida win. I mean, probably the most significant win for Billy Napier since he's been there, right? And Graham Mertz played well, the transfer quarterback from Wisconsin, but uh, but a huge win for Billy Napier, and and uh, hopefully because there's there's been some noise in the, in the system about him and whether things were going in the right direction or not for the Gators. Um, and I did, I did that game several times back in the day when I was at CBS and even at ESPN, the Florida-Tennessee game. In fact, I remember one year I had done an NFL game in week two because at CBS we didn't start the college season until week three. And it was a good game, but, you know, the crowd was a typical NFL crowd. And the very next week, Uh, My opening game was Tennessee at Florida in the swamp and it was so loud. I mean, and hot and muggy and loud. And Alex Brown was playing defensive end for uh, Florida at that time. And I think he made himself a first round draft pick in that game. He had five sacks and most of them were the result of the fact that he was so quick off the ball and the noise was so deafening the left tackle had no chance, couldn't get out of his stance to block the guy. And uh, But I'll never forget, and, and watching that game this past weekend, uh, the swamp hasn't been that loud in, in, in several years, and they kind of got that back uh, in that game on Saturday, and it, it paid off for them.
3: Massive win. Absolutely massive win. Some crazy things in the SEC, and so we'll see if Florida can keep the momentum going as we head towards week four.
1: That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time.
2: And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
3: I know we hit on our game a little bit earlier off the top of the show, but just one, one last kind of thought on Syracuse and Purdue. Syracuse wins 35-20. I guess the question becomes, where does Purdue go from here? Because now you've got Wisconsin coming this week. You go on the road to face them in Madison, I guess. And, I mean, that's that's not an easy place to play already. And now you have right. lost two, your two home games. Your one game you win was a five-and-a-half-hour weather delay right. in Blacksburg. They had the pieces. We've, we've talked about it. They have the pieces. It feels like they've got the coaching staff, this young, fresh energy. It's about you would feel being disciplined, but, but what does Purdue need to do aside from just limiting turnovers to go there and and beat Wisconsin this week?
0: Well, their job, number one is going to be take care of the football, right? Can't turn it over like they did, particularly on the road. And they've got to do a better job against the run. You know, they did not do a great job against the run against Fresno state. They were better against Virginia tech, much better, but then it kind of, came up again against Syracuse. You know, Syracuse ran for 271 yards. Now, granted, 200 of that, or almost 200, was the quarterback. And Wisconsin doesn't pose that same threat as far as the quarterback run game, but you know they're going to test that Purdue defense and see if they can stop the run. They've got two really good backs. Wisconsin's always been able to run the football. I think the biggest difference with the Badgers this year is – they, they've got a quarterback and skill guys on the outside that if you really load up to stop the run, I think they feel confident in their ability to play that game and throw the football as well. But, but job number one for Purdue on the road is going to be, can we stop the run? Can we minimize the run and, and at least try to make Wisconsin uh, one-dimensional?
3: Purdue, again, 0-2 oh at home. Can they somehow find a way to keep getting wins on the road? And and look, they started 1-2 and two last year and ended up winning the Big Ten West. And, and right. all three of the games they've played have been out of conference games against three non-Big Ten high-level opponents. And we saw that Fresno State continues to look strong through these first couple of weeks. So – I would say it's far from over for Purdue, and I think Ryan Walters and company know that. And by the way, you mentioned Garrett Schrader's rushing numbers just to solidify them, 195 rushing yards and four touchdowns for Syracuse's yeah. quarterback on the ground. Just a, a really fantastic and jaw-dropping performance on so many levels. You had mentioned in one of your takeaways for the week, Washington, how great they looked against Michigan State. There's a lot going on with the Spartans right now, but Washington just went there and they took care of business, 41-7. to and Michael Penix Jr., 473 yards, four touchdowns. He just looks so comfortable right now. And his two receivers are absolute yeah. studs on the outside.
0: Yeah, you know, they lost their best running back before the season started to injury. And you wondered if that was going to slow the offense down. But so far, it has not. And, uh, you know, he's playing at an elite level. He's got great receivers. Maybe might be the second best receiving core in the country outside of Ohio State. Um and then, you know, you wondered, I mean, how good is their defense going to be? Well, I don't know how great Michigan State is on offense, um, but to go on the road like that and and to be able to, you know, shut them out for most of the game, only hold, hold them to seven points uh, to complement your, your explosive offense, uh, Washington's impressive right now um, and certainly going to be a, a team to reckon with in the Pac-12. We'll
3: talk some Michigan State in a minute, but interim head coach Harlan Barnett, And now Mark D'Antonio back. So something for us to unpack as we continue on here on Big Talk. Penn State, it was their first kind of major test, so to speak, against Mm -hmm. Illinois. And they passed it 30-13. to You know, Drew Aller looked solid enough. The running backs looked great. But that defense just looks like it's all world through the first couple of weeks.
0: Yeah, I thought that Illinois had underachieved defensively the first two weeks of the season, particularly in their loss out of Kansas. I thought their defense played outstanding. In yep. this, their defense played well enough to win. Their offense turned the ball over five times, you know. And again, you can't overcome that. It's it, against a good team. If you're the underdog, I don't care if you're playing on the road or at home. You're the underdog. You got to take care of the football. And Luke Altmeyer made some bad decisions of where he threw the football, and Penn State took it away. Uh, but but Illinois' defense was outstanding. Um, Johnny Newton, the defensive tackle for them. Uh, he dominated the game. I mean, he Penn State could not block him. And I think because of that, the running game was not as explosive as it has been. And Drew Aller kind of looked like a freshman for the first time this yep. season. But they found a way to to make the plays and, and hang in there. And, you know, sometimes it's not going to be as pretty as you want it to be. And you found a way to win. The defense kept serving them up with the turnovers. And ultimately, they, you know, they won the game handily. Now, you know, now they go back home, but they'll play an even better defense and an, and an even sterner test with the Iowa Hawkeyes coming in. So, you know, two weeks in a row, I think, for young Drew Eiler, um, he's played well. Um, He had some, some problems last week, and he'll be presented with a, an even bigger challenge this week at home against Iowa.
3: Yeah, a game that we're going to Unpack even further here in a minute. So, just uh, some other scores to get through. Wisconsin gets past Georgia Southern, no problem, 35 14. Braylon Allen and Tanner Mordecai both rushed for two touchdowns apiece. So, that running game continues to be selling, the quarterback getting involved in it as well. Iowa, as mentioned, they get a win and scored 41 in the process. They beat Western Michigan 41 10, and Nebraska, Northern Illinois. uh, Jeff Sims did not get the start, uh, nursing an ankle injury. And Nebraska finds their way through. And then UNC de- defeats Minnesota thirty-one to thirteen. So the first loss for PJ Fleck and Company and Drake May continues to look impressive. But if you want to hit on Iowa and they're scoring, if you want to hit on one of these other <laughs> ones, it's a lot of a lot of Big Ten impact here as we continue on the slate and get close to conference play here.
0: Yeah, well, I you know, congratulations to Matt Rue and Nebraska getting there for win. You know, I mean, uh they they played well in the opening loss to Minnesota on the road, turned the ball over, that cost them. They go to Colorado for the first half. They really had stymied that Colorado offense, turnovers, their defense wore out, you know, and they end up getting beat pretty bad uh, in the second game. This week, no Jeff Sims, he's he's injured. And the guy that came in this Harburg, I, I saw him in the spring, he is a young, big-time athlete, like a, like a almost multi-sport athlete in high school. Went to a very small high school in Nebraska. He was a big-time recruit. Um, I don't know if he's a pure passer, but he's a dynamic athlete. And And obviously gave him a little bit of a spark coming in last week. Had to kind of finish the game on the road at Colorado. Got the start this week. So it'll be interesting to see what Matt Rule does with the quarterback position going forward. Uh, but a good win for them, nonetheless. And you mentioned North Carolina. Um, you know that's a really good win for them. Uh, yeah. I mean, beating South Carolina was a was a great win. You know, it's a border rivalry game. But but then uh, you know Minnesota, they don't beat themselves. So if you're going to beat Minnesota, you have to do the little things right. You got to be good in all the other you know the aspects of the game, third down and turnovers and short yardage and goal line, all those kind of things. And so that was a, that was an impressive win uh, for North Carolina, and Drake May continues to play well.
3: 414 yards, two touchdowns for Drake May in that game. And <clears throat> Excuse me. But the uh, the UNC train continues, and the Big Ten teams getting it done, Iowa, Wisconsin, Nebraska. Good to see that. Rutgers stays perfect on the season. Yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. Rutgers, 35-16 over Virginia Tech. Louisville with a big win over Indiana as Jeff Brom, Comes back to a Big Ten country, let's say, and gets the 21-14 victory. Duke continues to roll. They beat yeah. Northwestern 38-14. And then Ohio State and Michigan, they get their job done. Ohio State finally looks as dominant as expected. 63-10 over Western Kentucky and Michigan over Bowling Green, 31-6. to And we'll we'll kind of dissect some of those as well. But if you want to give Rutgers the pop, I think they deserve it. 3-0 to start the season. For Greg Schiano and that defense so far has been stymieing their opponents through the first couple games of the, of the season.
0: Yeah, that's been, that's been cool to see, you know, I like Greg Schiano. It's not been easy. You know, he, he got it done his first go around there at Rutgers and <clears throat> did something that people didn't think he could do. And it's been a little bit tougher this second time around, you know, and being in the big 10, uh, but it's good to see them off to a good start. And now, uh, they get to go to the big house this week and see, uh, if they can try to slow down the Michigan offense.
3: All right, let's see what we can what we can go through for week four previews here. Wisconsin and Purdue, let's start there. We kind of hit on the Purdue side of things, and, and it realistically comes down to not turning the ball over and yep. stopping the run. Yep. Easier said than done when you've got Ches Malusi and Braylon Allen who have combined for over 500 yards and eight touchdowns the first three games of the season. So when you look at this game, how important is it for Purdue not necessarily just to win the game I'm not saying they need to win but to play a little bit more discipline and sound football than what we saw last week
0: yeah well they just have to give themselves a better chance to to have a chance to win right and you do that by taking care of the football being more disciplined fundamentally sound against the running game Uh, if they do those things they can maybe take this game in the fourth quarter and have a chance to win (coughs) but Again, you mentioned it's, it's not an easy task. The thing I like about what Wisconsin has got right now, and, I, and you know, they didn't play well on the road against Washington State in Week 2, mm-hmm. but I think their offense is just more diverse than it's been in the last several years. And so if you're going to let them run the football, they're going to run the football. They've got two backs that are really good. They're physical big backs. They've always had the offensive linemen. Uh, but I do think they have the diversity in their offense now uh, to throw the football and and to beat you in other ways. And I think that offense, you know, because it's a new system, they're just going to get better and better and better. Uh, you know, Phil Longo his his first year, but his system is a proven system. And I think the more they play in it, the better and more effective they'll be offensively. So that's a tall task for Purdue going in there uh, and beating Wisconsin and Madison.
3: Iowa and Penn State. So I guess let's start from the Penn State side. You know, you mentioned Drew Aller got his first real test last week against Illinois, and, and it looked like there were moments where, you know, Illinois' pressure got to him or. He couldn't quite find an open receiver. Keandre Lambert-Smith has still had some big plays through the first couple of weeks here. But, you know, having those two running backs always is going to help. Having that offensive line led by Olu Fashinu at left tackle is always going to help. But you're facing a Phil Parker defense. And I know we've talked about just how good of a defensive coordinator Phil Parker is. He could be the best D.C. in the country year in and year out. His defense is overachieved. And they've got guys like Cooper DeJean. Who are high impact players in the back line? They always have outstanding linebackers. It's a whiteout game, so you know Penn State's gonna be juiced up, but for Drew Aller, what does he need to do to just ensure that he doesn't lose them the football game? Because it feels like with a young quarterback, that's what it comes down to.
0: Well, he's kind of like we said in week one: play within yourself, you know, play within the system, take what the defense gives you. Know you've got the running game that, that hopefully you can have balance. And when they give you an opportunity to take a shot, because he's got the arm to, to make any throw, you know, take your shots. Um, the thing about Phil Parker and his defense with Iowa, uh, they're not flashy. They're not a high pressure. They're not a high man-to-man coverage team. Um, but they make you earn everything. They're typically really good tacklers. They're fundamentally sound. They don't beat themselves. They don't give up easy chunk plays. They make you methodically work the ball down the field. And then they get really stingy when you get near their goal line or in the red zone. So um, you have to earn it against them. Uh, So that'll be interesting to watch. And then, you know, when you flip the ball, the other side, let's face it. The reason that Kirk Ferentz went out and got Cade McNamara was to be able to win games like this, right? The guys they've had the last couple of years, weren't good enough or capable of going into a place like Penn State on a whiteout against a defense as good as Penn State is and winning. Cade McNamara, he can, you know, and so, uh, you know, if they can continue to to grow offensively and he can play well on the road, he gives Iowa a chance to go in there and, and pull the upset, but it will not be easy because Penn State's defense is playing at a very, very high level right now. Um, You know, they can really rush the passer. I think they're excellent in the back end. I think their two corners are playing as well as anybody in college football right now, Dixon and Kalen King. So um, it won't be easy going against either one of these defenses. So people, you know, it'll be a fun game to watch. The atmosphere will be great. Uh, I don't expect there to be a whole lot of scoring, though.
3: Yeah, yeah. And aside from Dixon and Kalen King, then you've got to worry about Kobe King, then you got to worry about yeah. Abdul Carter, then you got to right. worry about Rob Robinson, and the star power of that defense is, is obscene, quite honestly. The, the good news for Iowa, the good news, bad news. The bad news is that Luke Lachey, their stud tight end, is likely out for the season yeah. after sustaining a, a serious injury in the game this past weekend. The good news is that they had the foresight to go out and get Eric All out of the, the Michigan system tight end, bring him in with Cade McNamara. And so they still have a high-impact tight end, which feels like Iowa always will have. Sam LaPorta last year was one of the best in the country. But to, to lose Luke Lachey is a big blow to an offense that already is just struggling to find those points and has gotten better this year with Cade. They still have a great running game, but they don't have the, the traditional weapons on the outside. They're going to provide those explosive plays. So to not have their top tight end, they are thanking the heavens right now that they went out and got this from Michigan.
0: Yeah. And he's a good player. I mean, yes. this, this is an offense that typically utilizes multiple tight ends in their run game and their pass game. So they'll definitely miss Lachey and, and you know, his skill set and what it allowed them to do with multiple tight end sets. But, uh, yeah, Eric All is is a really good player, and it's fortunate that they have him.
3: Very much so. Other Big Ten games this weekend: Rutgers, Michigan. As Todd mentioned, will be uh, I don't know if saying that's a test for Rutgers doesn't quite do test justice. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see what that looks like. FAU in Illinois. And Tim Harbaugh is back, which is you good know point.
0: That's, the big news of that game is that Harbaugh's three game suspension is over; he's back. I read an article this morning where. He was saying that he thinks he's a better coach having sat out these first (laughs) games and watching from a different perspective. We'll see how that, what that translates to, Um, you know, it was interesting because JJ McCarthy had been playing at a really high level for the first few weeks, you know, good decisions, taking care of the football. He threw what, I think three interceptions in the game uh, this past week, even though they won against Bowling Green easily, um, he was not great with the football in that regard. So um, Rutgers will be a better defensive <laughs> test. I just don't know if Rutgers offensively has enough against Michigan's defense to make the game, you know, as competitive as they would like. But um, but it'll be fun to watch.
3: Yeah, we'll see what, what Gavin Wimsett and that Rutgers offense has in store, maybe up their sleeve. It feels like <laughs> when you're an underdog at that level, you've got to find some level of tri- trickeration or unsuspected, <laughs> right. you know, something that, that is, nobody is looking forward to or looking at in particular. So we'll see that game, FAU-Illinois, uh, LA Tech, Louisiana Tech, and, and Nebraska. So a good chance for Matt Rule and company to get another victory. Akron in Indiana and Minnesota Northwestern. So fun stuff. And, and Jim Harbaugh being back, as mentioned, the big storyline there. So we look forward to our NBC games. We've got two big ones. The first one is at 3.30. Maryland goes to Sparty, takes on Michigan State. A lot of turmoil surrounding that program. I actually called this game last year. This was in College Park. So I called this game at Maryland last year, and Talia Tungavailoa had a big game. Maryland ends up running away with that game as well. But Michigan State, just a, a really difficult loss last week against Washington And we talked about how talented Washington is. Those receivers are amazing. And Michael Penix has continued to just be one of the studs of the entire country. But how is Michigan State trying to just just regroup a little bit, especially with everything going on with the likely firing now of Mel Tucker and understanding that they're probably going to have Harlan Bennett as their head coach for the rest of the season and Mark D'Antonio. I don't, really know how to fully describe his role, but he's going to be involved there and he's going to help the best he can. But if you're Michigan State, how do you regroup the right way and just try to put your best foot forward against a team that you should have a chance to at least compete with?
0: Right. Yeah, I mean, those are uncharted waters, you know, for the coaches still there and the players still there. You know, they go from, you know, okay, first of all, we're, we're not going to have our head coach for this game but we might get him back, you know, he's suspended. And now it's looking more like he's not going to be your head coach anymore. Uh, so there's so much uncertainty. Meanwhile, you're coming off of a 41-7 shellacking at home, albeit to a really good team, a top-10 team. But, you know, you got to put that one in the rearview mirror as quickly as possible and, you know, try to circle the wagon and say, okay, look, the guy's in this locker room. We know how hard we've worked how much time we put in the summer and the off-season program. And regardless of the turmoil surrounding our program from a coaching staff standpoint or head coaching standpoint, we still got to go out there and play. And we've got pride and we're a Big Ten team. And so we, you know, we start off with a a Big Ten opponent in Maryland coming into our house. So, you know, they just got to figure a way to, you know, to regroup and and kind of bond together and, and play. I mean, um, it's interesting with Maryland, you know, for two weeks in a row, they go down 14 to nothing before they wake up and decide to, you know, get going offensively. And yep. they've gotten away with it, you know, the last two weeks, but, uh, that's not a recipe for success down the road. You know, they need to be a little bit faster starting than that. But, uh, but when they get rolling, um, between the passing of Talia and the running of, of Roman Henby and Littleton, I mean, they they're they're an explosive offense, and I think defensively, when we saw them, uh, we thought they were better than than advertised, or or better than we maybe thought. So uh, Maryland is, you know, they feel like this is their year to kind of make a jump, and one of those teams that they would like to jump over, uh, you know, for real, is Michigan State because they're they're chasing those other three teams in the Big Ten East and and Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State.
3: Yeah, and that game yeah. we did two weeks ago against Charlotte. They may have given up 14 to start the game, but only seven of those came from the defense. The other one, the pick right. six from Talia. Right. So defensively, right. they've been impressive. And if Talia and the offense continue, <clears throat> can continue to click, and to your point, start a little bit quicker, because they end up dominating Virginia on Friday this past week. The final score is 42 to 14. So uh, once they wake up in, in the <laughs> best terms and once they kind of find themselves and remind themselves, oh, wait, no, no, we're more than capable of doing right. this. Mm -hmm. They show just how dangerous they can be. So that one, 330, NBC, we've got all the coverage for that.
4: Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or.
3: And it leads us to our main event, so to speak. The game we'll be at, and this is one we've been looking forward to, in South Bend, Ohio State at Notre Dame. Top 10 matchup, 7.30 on NBC. Pre-game coverage with College Countdown begins at 7 with Maria Taylor and Joshua Perry and Ahmed Farid and Matt Castle and Mike Robb. So number six against number nine. Ohio State, technically the higher-ranked team. They're also very slim favorite in this game but a rematch of the season opener last season where Ohio State won it 21 to 10 and Notre Dame really performed very well on the road going to Columbus and and dealing with that and yet after that the wheels kind of fall off for Notre Dame and they lose to Marshall and then their season as a result is essentially over but Marcus Freeman quietly got them back on track right. eventually they finished the year strong and so far they did what's see, bring in Sam Hartman and the in the offseason, in the transfer portal, and Sam Hartman's done pretty damn well so far. Yeah, he's, <laughs> yeah. he's come out and he's hit the sil- hit the fires, the, what is it, hit the ground running and the firing on all cylinders. i tried to combine the there two. But either way, they've scored 40-plus in all four games they've played, including the Week 0 game against Navy. So they're looking to, to just prove to themselves and to the country that they can get a big win at home, showcase that they're a college football playoff-caliber team, Meanwhile, Ohio State finally looked like the dominant team we expected them to against Western Kentucky last week. They put up 63 points, and Kyle McCord has been more and more comfortable with each week. So a lot of storylines, as always, for our game, and we look forward to it. But this is just a massive showdown that the entire nation's going to be watching.
0: Yeah, it's, and and I don't think it's the same kind of game as it shapes up as last year. You know, Marcus Freeman has a, a whole year under his belt, right? That was his first I mean, he was there for the bowl game, but that was his first start to the season. He was going against his alma mater. There was a lot of emotion. Um, And this is a different-looking Notre Dame team because of Sam Hartman. I mean, even though Notre Dame led at halftime last year, they didn't score in the second half. And and they really were not capable of being a productive, prolific offensive football team for the rest of the season because of what they had at quarterback. And now this year – They have a different quarterback. And so they have a guy who's capable of beating a team like Ohio State. Not saying that they will, but they've got the right quarterback. And, you know, Sam Hartman, not only has he been productive, and not only was he productive at Wake Forest, uh, he's an older guy. He's an older, calming presence, very much like Stetson Bennett was at Georgia the last two years, right? An older guy playing with 18- and 19-year-olds, and he's, you know, 23, 20, whatever he was, um, it's a similar feeling with Sam Hartman. He's playing very well, but it's his presence and his leadership that I think is is really making a huge difference for Notre Dame as well. So I, I, it's a great matchup. I think Kyle McCord took a lot of steps forward last week. You know, Ryan Day officially named him the starter, and then he went out and played his best game. They had been kind of just not great on offense, you know, and people starting to wonder, you know, what's wrong with the offense. we got these receivers. we got these backs. What's the problem? Last week Kyle McCord put it together, played extremely well. I think they scored on six of their first seven possessions against a team, Western Kentucky, that is pretty good, you know, particularly on offense. So he played well the last two weeks. They found ways to get the ball to Marvin Harrison Jr., who, you know, I think between he and Caleb Williams are the two best players in college football. Um, so they'll continue to do that, um, and and so offensively, I think they're kind of hitting their stride now at the right time. It'll be a big test, you know, going on the road. I know Ohio State opened on the road at Indiana, but this school in Indiana, it will be a much different atmosphere uh, in South Bend that that the quarterback will face. But the biggest, probably most promising thing for Ohio State defensively, how well they played against. A quarterback then Western Kentucky had in a, in a passing game that is very, very good. Um, and they held their own. They held them down well under their average and uh, you know kept them out of the end zone. So uh, very promising going into this matchup with Notre Dame.
3: It feels like one of the biggest matchups in the game is the Ohio State defensive front against this Notre Dame offensive line that has yeah. maybe the best left tackle in all of college football. It feels like Joe Alt and Olu Olufashnu, and there are a couple other names, but Joe Alt is outstanding, a clear All-American. And then you've got Blake Fisher on the other side. And offensive line-wise, Notre Dame has been a different level to this point. Now, their opponents have been at a different tier than what they're going to see, but they running game with Audric Estime leading the way. And then if you look at their depth chart, it's actually hilarious because it's Estime clearly number one and then four guys or four yeah. right and i would I, normally you'd look at them and be like no way and then when i did the game in week zero against navy it's like no they actually play all five guys and all five guys contribute at a high level biggest reason is because their offensive line is is just wonderful and then on the other side you've got a defensive front for ohio state that has looked really stout to this point so how do you see that matchup Going as we get closer to, to game day and, and looking towards what what really we could see yeah. on Saturday in South Bend.
0: Well, I mean that's that's the key to the game, right? Is is what happens in the trenches? That you know, in a game like this, two heavyweight teams, who wins the game in the trenches is going to determine the outcome. Uh, I mean, Sam Hartman gives them a great chance at quarterback. Kyle McCord is the quarterback. You know, the new quarterback. Um, Ohio State's got a lot of skill, but who wins the game in the trenches is, is going to determine the outcome of this one. And uh, it, it'll be interesting because, you know, both teams want to be able to be balanced on offense. Both teams want to be able to run and pass. And and both defenses are going to try to limit that and try to make a team one-dimensional. Uh, and, and which team can control the line of scrimmage is going to determine who wins the game. I mean, you know, football is... It's changed a lot. There's a lot of flash and speed and up-tempo and different things. But at the end of the day, games are still won and lost by who who plays the best up front, particularly in a heavyweight matchup like this.
3: Some things just never go out of style, and this matchup will always be at the top of the list. It's Saturday. The Ohio State Buckeyes heading to South Bend. Take on the Fighting Iris of Notre Dame in prime time. Here comes Saturday night. We're gonna be there, all the coverage. We can't wait. Seven thirty NBC and college downtown gets us going at seven o'clock. So hope you'll join us for that one as we look at our Xfinity big connections on and off the field. And we we kind of hit on this a little bit, but Marcus Freeman gets to play against his alma mater and as a linebacker at Ohio State from 04 to 08, he was a two time all big ten second team selection. Very, very short cup of coffee in the NFL, had to cut it short because of injury and then has come back to be just a highly successful coach and already in year two at Notre Dame, looking like he took clear lessons from year one, looking like he understood and learned from those mistakes early. And when you talk to him, you can hear just how thankful he is that he made those mistakes up front in his first year, not in a maybe massive moment towards the end of year one where he had an opportunity because now he feels like he has the team to really compete, but... With all that being said, I just know how difficult it is. I don't care who you are. I don't care how many games you've called. I don't care how many games you coach. I don't care how many games you played in. Whoever you are going up against an alma mater or a former team, that, that's never easy to do. There's always emotion involved. I think it's going to be the case for Sam Hartman later this year when Notre Dame faces Wake Forest towards the end of the season. And so how does Marcus Freeman handle it maybe differently then he yeah. did a year ago. I think that's one of our main question marks heading into this game.
0: Well, I, I think he's a, a more mature head coach, right? I mean, this is the second time now, so it won't be nearly as emotional as it was the first time. won't be nearly as emotional as it was going into Columbus to do it as it will be, you know, being at home in South Bend. I think he'll handle that part of it fine. The other thing is he's just matured as a coach because he's got more games under his belt, and his team – this isn't the opener like it was last year. Yeah. They've got four wins under their belt right now, so they they feel like they are pretty good. They got a good understanding a good feel for their team and their personnel. Uh, they they don't have the question marks about their team maybe that they had going into a week one matchup a year ago. So it's it's very different, and I think Marcus Freeman will handle it, and uh, and and his team will handle it in a much better fashion. Plus, Sam Hartman gives them a chance. Uh, to be different and and to hope for a different outcome than they would have had last year.
3: Couldn't agree more. And then speaking of his team, there is the other Xfinity big connection on and off the field. And that would be Javante Jean-Baptiste who transferred in this year to Notre Dame from Ohio state at that defensive line spot. He had 53 total tackles, eight sacks for the Buckeyes. He already has 15 tackles for Notre Dame through the first four games. And that was the key for him got a chance to talk to him before that Navy game. And and he said he looked at this opportunity with Notre Dame as a place to still play even more than he did probably in Columbus and compete for the college football playoff, compete for national championships. He has felt that culture since getting to South Bend. But again, you're going against your former team. And for him, his former teammates, that's going to feel a little bit different.
0: Yeah, it will be. I mean, he'll,
3: he'll have battles in the trenches
0: uh, that'll remind him of what it was like in practice. You know, when he was in Columbus, going against Buckeye offensive linemen. But, you know, look, nobody has had better defensive line success over the last few years, uh, any more so than Ohio state. Larry Johnson, the defensive line coach is one of the best assistant coaches in all of college football. He was at Penn state before he went to Ohio state. His son, Larry, was the great running back for Penn state and the chiefs. Uh, but he is an outstanding developer of defensive linemen and, um, and and they've got another stout defensive line this year. And a guy like Jean Baptiste, you know, maybe isn't gonna be as many reps there. He goes to Notre Dame and he's playing at a very high level. And a lot of that just goes back to the training he had at Ohio State.
3: Mm, excellent point. All right. Well, I can't wait for that one. And we appreciate everybody for joining us here. Episode number four of Big Talk. Thanks for tuning in, Todd and Noah. We appreciate everybody. We are presented by Xfinity 10G Network, and make sure you download. And subscribe on the NBC Sports YouTube channel wherever you get your audio podcasts. We will talk to you next week. And again, make sure you tune in. 7.30, NBC Saturday, Ohio State at Notre Dame. you be the last.
0: Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh,